This is a series, a series for financial advisors. We offer easy to implement marketing and practice management advice. This is The Stephen and Kevin Show. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 98 of The Stephen and Kevin Show. And today we're gonna be talking about newsletters for financial advisors. 98, feels pretty good I must say, closing in on 100. So close. So today, a topic that uh, we talk a lot about here internally at Oxley. Newsletters have long been a part of our operation, but we haven't talked a ton about it with all of you. So we'd like to share with you some of what we have learned through trial and error, tons and tons and tons of newsletters over the years, and uh, in hopes that as you build and continue to improve your newsletters, uh, that uh, this will be helpful. So we're before we get into it though, just remember, if you like this content, make sure you like, subscribe, leave us a comment, we'd really appreciate it. So uh, let's get into it. We're, we're gonna frame this in the, in the form of questions that we've heard advisors you know, ask or pose to us uh, from, you know, from our standpoint. So the first one is why should I even consider having a newsletter? Why do they matter for financial advisors? Yeah, I think they matter for all of you the same way that they matter for us. It's a way to engage people from afar. It helps gives you some uh, variety in terms of how you're making outreach. It's not all telephone, it's not all text, it's not all social. I like that. I like the, the idea of you know, certain people prefer different mediums, right? Some people just are not on social and email is a really good way to engage them. One of the things I've heard you mention before, Stephen, is the idea of owned versus rented audience, right? And, you know, um, owned audience being, I, I have your email, like I am, I'm, I'm owning that, right? Like I'm owning that email and I can reach out to you whenever I want versus rented is, you know, you're, you're kind of from a social standpoint, you're at the mercy of the networks. The yeah, algorithm either, changes. Yeah, right? either the mercy of the algorithm in terms of whether or not it's deciding to spread your content or the mercy of your advertising budget that you're having to pay these networks to spread your stuff. Yes. So when we, over time, collect a lot of email addresses, now we've got an audience that's somewhat captive. I also like that it's not just prospect focused, right? Clients, centers of influence, and prospective clients, right? All of those, you know, those parties can benefit from some sort of newsletter. But from our standpoint, the days of these boilerplate, market update, kind of automated newsletters are coming to an end. Oh, and it's like, I hate to say it, but it's a real rarity that we see a newsletter done right. Right. Like the vast majority of them, and I think because it's so easy for people to do, are very boilerplate financial uh, newsletters. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. What they are. Yeah. And you think about your marketplace, for some of you, you may have a, a group of, uh, of subscribers that are really interested in some technical outlook or some how-tos. Whereas I think the vast majority of people, especially when you move up market, are more interested in things that have been personalized. They're either sharing insights about you as a financial advisor and your team and your family, or they're offering insights directly from you in the form of video or audio or written con content. Right. But it's, it's not, yeah. you know, People, I think as you get more and more money, you have less and less interest in like really basic financial articles coming to your inbox. Yeah, it's one thing to tick the box and say, well, we got an email newsletter. It's another to say, I actually put some time and energy into it and I'm gonna try and create something that people want to read. So, you know, as you think about some of the recommendations that we offer financial advisors who are wanting to get into newsletters or wanting to improve newsletters, it is that you don't have to do that many of them. So if you're thinking about, well, that sounds like a lot of work, it kind of is. Yeah. I, I've got to put forth video, I've got to highlight team members and all, we'll get into some of that today. Uh, but even if you did that once a month and it was really good, that would be far better than sending out a weekly piece that's kind of boring. Exactly. All right, so 
a lot of benefits as to, as to why we, we think advisors should be embracing newsletters more um, as long as they're the right type. Next question here is what's the difference between a newsletter and an email sequence? And the first point I, I wanna throw out here is that an email sequence, right, a series of emails typically built to nurture a quote unquote lead have a finite ending, right? They have, they have a sequence and then they're gonna end at some point versus a newsletter is ongoing, it's reoccurring. So the most common email sequence would be uh, a welcome series. So that if somebody newly subscribes to your newsletter, yeah. that they would get a predetermined set of maybe two or three uh, immediate emails over the course of a few days or a few weeks that introduce them to you, your company, uh, and what's to come maybe in that series. Yes. Uh, but then it's over, right? Yeah. Or perhaps it's an email sequence that comes on the heels of a webinar you did. And uh, you want to continually send out a few resources afterwards to stay top of mind for people who may be considering your services. And those things have a place, right? They have yeah. a purpose. But a newsletter, what we're talking about today, right, is something that's going to be ongoing, reoccurring, and it doesn't have a finite ending. Instead, it's more of um, it's something that your audience expects to get, right? I'm expecting that once a month or once a week, whatever that frequency might be, that I'm going to get that newsletter. I'm waiting for it. Absolutely. And it, and it, uh, brings about another good point, Kevin, which is you do want to pick a time and date that that email goes out every week yeah. or every month, how, whatever your frequency is. And I say uh, we send ours weekly because we put out a lot of content. Yeah. So we've got enough to put into a newsletter weekly to make it interesting. If we only put together one article or one video a month, uh, it, it would be too much. I remember going to Content Marketing World. This is years ago. And I saw one of the speakers there, we were talking about email marketing. and. He said, when it comes to newsletters, he said, make an appointment with your audience. So whatever the frequency is, let them know that I'm going to send this the first of every month. You're going to receive this every Tuesday at, you know, in your inbox, you're going to get this, like make an appointment with them so they know what to expect and they're waiting for it. And so. not everybody does, right? I mean, there's plenty, of, I, I couldn't tell you when and how certain emails arrive in my inbox, but other people do. Yeah. We notice that when we send an email that's off schedule or we miss one, uh, we, we get notified. People are like, hey, what, I thought I usually get the, uh, the Tuesday morning special. <laughs> it's true. So we try and send those ours on Tuesday morning. The other thing is we notice a drop off in open rates and click throughs when we don't send it on our scheduled time. So anyway, um, all right, next, next question here is, what content should you include in a good financial advisor newsletter? Yeah, a variety, I would yeah. say, uh, and a heavy, heavy premium on content that you've had a hand in creating. So that is 100% what differentiates a boilerplate newsletter versus one that people actually wanna read, is did you, as the thought leader, put effort into an article, a video, uh, a hand, uh, like a, a personalized introduction, a lead-in? I like that. Like, did you put any effort into it at all? And if so, I'm gonna take the time to look at it, see what pictures and videos you put in there. If not, eh. I'm moving on. I like that. A personalized lead-in, your content marketing, uh, whatever you're creating yourself, some educational content. Also announcements, right? Maybe there's a birthday on the team. Um, maybe one of your clients just ran a half marathon and you have their permission to kind of show them off in your newsletter, which is not a bad idea. Why? Because they'll share it with other people. Um, but Maybe it's a center of influence that you've you worked with, uh, somebody you'd like to highlight their business. Links to social icons, reminding people to follow you on, on Facebook and on LinkedIn and so forth. But uh, a good variety, I think, helps keep it interesting, helps keep people follow along. Next question here is one, um, and look, we've done email marketing for a long time, and so this is one that we were brainstorming in advance and I wanted to throw out to Stephen, and, and we both had the same opinion on it, but I wasn't sure what your opinion was gonna be. 
And that is, should I be segmenting my lists? Meaning, should I, let's say I'm using MailChimp or Constant Contact, whatever it might be, should I have different segments for my clients, prospects, centers of influence? I mean, do I, do I break everyone down? People who've downloaded this white paper, et cetera. And I, I would say somewhat surprisingly, both of our answers were no, at least at first. I know, which, which most people who probably do a ton of email marketing would say, don't do that. No, you want to segment everything. We kind of want to put all, like if you're thinking about sending one really good newsletter a month, that's plenty of a project at first. Yes. And you want it to be absolutely rock star quality. And if you get into right up front thinking about how do we distinguish this audience that came from a webinar versus that audience that's been clients for a long time, uh, or if you thought about it, about it by way of niche market, yes. that we've got one set that goes out to physicians, another to business owners, we're gonna lose some quality in the process. Yeah, when you're starting off, like you don't have thousands and thousands of subscribers, right? So we're saying, hey, right now, create something that everyone will benefit from, pull them all together, Eventually, yes, we would love to get to that point. If you look at, if you look, you saw our segments and how we segment our, our newsletter list of 50,000, yeah, we have them broken down in a variety of ways. And I will, I'll, I'll give you uh, one tip though, is even if you don't have any plans right now of segmenting your list, like for emails currently, if you want the ability to do that later, you need to start putting in tags or qualifiers around each contact. You can do that. So as you put people in there, perhaps you go ahead and flag them as a COI, you flag them as a current client, even if ultimately right now you're not segmenting. Definitely, okay. Next question here is, let's talk a little bit about design uh, of a newsletter and what should that design look like? How do we make it stand out and differentiate it amongst these, you know, I guess generic or boilerplate, market update style newsletters. One thing to keep in mind, I'm, I'm not so much the expert on design, but I would say in terms of layout, you want to rank order your content based on what's fresh and new and you think is gonna be your best content. Yes. So kind of in rank order, your number one piece in this newsletter is gonna get by far and away the most clicks. Usually when we take a look at our analytics at, at Oxley, like 90% of the traffic goes to that A1 position, which is you know what we call it, that first content block. Um, from a design standpoint, we want to keep it modern. We want to be thinking mobile as well as desktop. We want to include images of yourself for photography whenever possible. If you're doing video, make sure you have a good thumbnail, make sure it's enticing people want to click through. Spend some time on design. Um, again, it just speaks to the quality of the overall deliverable when they open it. It's that first impression right when they open that email. Yeah, and many of you are on teams of different sizes. If you're a somewhat smaller operation, you're not going to have a uh, a, a marketing person on staff. You may not right. have a graphic designer by any stretch, uh, but there may be benefit to going to an outsider to build that template the first time, that the overall design of it is done and, and professional looking and that you can Agreed. paint by numbers afterwards. Exactly, because it's it's pretty much a, a one-time project to create the template. And I even hate to use the word template because it's gonna be unique to, to you. And then after that, the components, there might be some small elements of design, but it's not gonna be as much as the initial project. Okay, next question. We're gonna talk a little bit about open rates. And this is, this is one we hear all the time is, how do I increase my open rates? I'm sending an email, I want more people to actually engage with it and open it. And my first response to that is, make sure that you have a really good sender reputation. If you send a lot of promotional emails, a lot of spammy emails, I mean, eventually people are going to ignore that. But if you have a really pristine reputation of when, when that, your email hits my inbox, I know there's something of value in there, that over time is going to increase your open rates. Definitely. And you think about the nature of the people who are subscribed. So 
almost always you're going to have a variety of clients, prospects, centers of influence, friends of yours, just people who've ended up on your list. And, and we'll talk about list building here in a minute, but people who've ended up on your list. And you think about what they all have in common, and that is you. So if when they open it, they get a flavor for what you're doing professionally right now. Let's say for instance, I mean, clients are always gonna find it interesting because you're, because you're educating them and letting them know what's happening behind the scenes. But the same for friends of yours or, or past prospects That's a good point. who may be in, you know, somewhat intrigued. When they open it up, they see a picture of you and the team at the most recent uh, quarterly birthday celebration. Yeah. Or they see uh, uh, a video from you with six tips for XYZ in 2022 they can tell the quality. They can tell if time and energy was put into this. So if you're adding value, you're building that sender reputation that that's gonna be good, it's gonna increase open rates over time. Some short-term things, um, subject lines are gonna be important. Whenever you can A-B test a subject line, or you know, that's never a bad idea. So, and also ask, asking intriguing questions in your subject lines too. You want it to be intriguing enough, but not over-promising. Yes. Like I think that's one of the reputation damagers is, Agreed. let's say for example, I get an email from you and it's like, this one thing is about to blow your mind. Right. And then you open the email and you're like, what is, what is this? That's you know? a, that, that hurts your reputation. Yeah. Right. Um, versus, you know, asking some intriguing questions and actually delivering on the content. So that's a big part of it. And then the other tip here, and this is one I, I gathered from HubSpot and it really made me think and something that we did historically was make sure that you're, you're from, like who the newsletter is coming from is, is recognizable. So for example, let's say that you're an advisor and it's just, you and you know an assistant or two, right? Don't send it from. Um, I'm going to make up something generic here, but like, you know, Anchor Wealth Management. Don't send it from them. Send it from Kevin Nichols, right? Because that's who most people would recognize. When we were talking about this in advance, we were thinking, you know what? When we started with Matt Oxley back in the day, we didn't send things from Oxley or the Oxley Institute. We send it from. Matt Oxley. Matt at Oxley.com. Exactly. Yeah. And then Matt had to change his email because people would respond to him and think that they were talking to him. Do you remember that? Well, that was a good thing at the time. At the time, it was like you'd get people responding who would say, hey, Matt, uh, love this. Uh, next time you ought to add in this idea. Yeah. Or what, about, what do you think about that? It was great. We got interaction that we wouldn't have gotten from a more corporate feeling and info at Oxley. Exactly. But I think the same happened. Uh, you know, for us, that happens for everybody as they scale, as it becomes less about an individual and more about an organization. And it made less and less sense to send it from, uh, you know, Matt himself. Yeah, but but initially, for for many of you out there, make it from yourself, right? You'll, you'll notice a, an increase in open rates. Next question here is very similar to the last one, but how do I increase click-throughs? And the first question I'm going to pose this one to you, Stephen, is, you know, where should I be driving people? Right? Do, I, do I give them all the information in the newsletter? Do I drive them to my website? Do I drive them to YouTube? Do I drive them to Facebook? Like where should I be you know, sending people from my newsletter? It, it is a, a bit of a balance. You wanna give them enough information in the newsletter so it feels like what they open is worthwhile and they can get a sense of what they could have access to if they were to click read more or if they were to click watch this video, but without giving away the whole shop. Yeah. And part of the value in sending them to your website is that you then gain the ability to retarget them on social networks. So let's say you've got the Facebook pixel set up or the LinkedIn insights tag. You can then go in and advertise to people who've been to your website. So there's benefit to driving traffic to your website and a newsletter is one of the best ways to do it. Definitely. So every now and then you might drive someone to, to a YouTube or to a channel, but in general, 
we like the idea of putting them on your website. Yeah, not if you can help it. Embed the videos on your website. Yes. Make sure you've got in your emails, even if it's a longer form article you've written, you've got perhaps a paragraph there that gives them a taste, but then gives them the chance to read more on your site. I love giving them a cliffhanger too, right? Like something that's really enticing and then right at the end it's like, oh, but you kind of left me hanging. You got to read more, right? Um, okay, so that's a, that's a great way to increase your click-throughs. How do I increase subscribers? Right? How do I go about building that list initially? Now, now initially we're thinking, like, let's not be too picky here. Clients, prospects, centers of influence, let's put those people in your newsletter list, right? Let's, uh, correspondence, if Steven's you know, a, a friend of mine, he just emails me randomly, I might think, you know what? Well, I just add him to my list. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not that I want to spam people, but I'm not going to be too picky about who I add. No, and it flies in the face of a lot of what you've read. We have multiple books here, not that we've written, but we've read yes. on email marketing. And almost all of them would say, be very picky, double opt-ins. I was going to say Make double sure opt-in. your list is crazy yeah. high quality. I don't buy it. I, yeah. and I just, it doesn't resonate to me. It's not like you're filling, you know, there's a difference, Kevin, in having a newsletter list that has some odds and ends there that have accumulated over the years versus having uh, built a follower base on Facebook, for example, that is very disparate and, yes. and really has, you know, not that much interest in your content. There, it hurts you. With a newsletter, it really doesn't, unless you're scared of paying the charge for MailChimp or whatever for having a lot of subscribers. Right, I have too many subscribers. Not right? a problem. Right. But, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about how to add people there, it is a constant focus. And Kevin, uh, you've always done a good job of this. Matt as well, uh, just in terms of always be thinking about that number. What's our yeah. number? How can we get it going? Back in the day, it used to be, and this, he would get a little bit of an eye roll, admittedly, here. But Matt, every time he would go out, he would bring back this stack of business cards. And part of you would be like, oh, this is great. The other part of you is the intern or the new research associate <laughs> was like, oh, great. I got to go, I got to go put all these into the database. I'm typing yeah. from business cards and putting emails in. Thankfully, now, you do enough of that over the years and you get a big email list. Another tip, make it really easy for people to sign up on your new, uh, on your actual website, right? Don't hide this, make it make it clear, make it abundant. I'm not a huge fan of the pop-ups though. Like I, I can't stand those when I'm on a website, I'm scrolling and all of a sudden it's like, my screen is filled with this huge pop-up that's like, you know, do you, don't miss out, join our newsletter, but then I can't even minimize it and it's just a pain. Make it somewhere, you know, on your website that, that's, that's um, easy for people to subscribe. At the bottom of your content is a really good place to do that too. The other thing, you mentioned this, kind of hinted at it, but running ads. Like mm -hmm. There's nothing against running ads, talking about your newsletter, um, why people should consider joining. Lead magnets would be another reason to do this. And for advisors who run ads on a Facebook or a LinkedIn and they have a lead magnet that entices someone to download something for an email address, one of the misnomers there, I mean, a lot of advisors say, well, that's a lead now. I should, you know, are they interested in becoming a client or I should be calling them? And for the most part, that's not gonna happen. I mean, for the most part, they're just trying to get whatever download they can. Put them in that nurture campaign, put them in that. It, to me, a newsletter is the ultimate nurturing campaign. Totally, and that intent really influences how the lead capture works. Yes. So if you go into it thinking, this is, and we hear this a lot because we build websites for financial advisors, uh, reach out if you're interested, but we build websites and the number one feature request from everybody out there is I want lead capture. Yes. When they say lead capture, they're thinking about uh, someone completing a form, 
in exchange for a free consultation, a free white paper, or what have you, that gives us their name and email and phone number, uh, whatever other information they're looking for. And oftentimes, they come to us with that request because their previous websites have done a poor job in attracting that kind of information, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but the mentality that we want people to have is that we don't need all that information because our intention, for the most part, is not to capture that quote-unquote lead and call them up. For the most part, it's to capture just their email and put it into our database. And you'll notice on Oxley.com, it's pretty prominent. Uh, we have it on multiple pages, and it's just simply give us your email. That's all exactly. We, want. we don't care what your name is or where you live, just give us your email. We do send you a little bit of a welcome sequence after yeah. you subscribe. We try to make it kind of fun and clever. If you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, go to our website, Oxley.com, and make sure you do that. Um, okay, so increase those subscribers, track that metric. This leads me to the next question, which is what KPIs should I be paying attention to? If I have a newsletter, how do I know that I'm making progress towards growing that audience and that I'm doing the right things? First thing, open rates is gonna be one that you definitely wanna be looking at. That's gonna take some time. Um, Again, that's a sender reputation, subject line, et cetera. I would also say that with that, it's less of, you can look up uh, benchmarks across the industry. What's the average open rate? But most of those are gonna feel a little bit meaningless. They are. Because they're, they're, so, they're, they're such a wide range. I think it's more competing against yourself. Yes. That you wanna see that number going up. Exactly, yeah. I mean, because again, for, for many of you, your goal is probably gonna be like, I need to get to 1,000 subscribers, right? That's probably a good initial goal to set. It's, it's not you know comparing you against different benchmarks where people have thousands and thousands of subscribers. Um, Click-throughs, clicks is is another one that you wanna be looking at. Are those going up or down? Subscribers, are those trending up on a regular basis? And you mentioned this one in advance of of the podcast recording today, unsubscribers, Mm -hmm. right? Are we noticing that people are just opting out of our newsletter? Then maybe we're not providing the right value. Yeah, and don't take it too personally, if you get unsubscribes, everybody does. Yeah, It's just a matter of analyzing. So when you're looking at each of these different aspects, you're looking at click-through rate, uh, what position is getting the most clicks, what types of topics are getting the most action. When you look at unsubscribes, are they coming on the heels of your newsletter or are they coming on the heels of that standalone webinar promotion that you did? Exactly. Right? So what type of email elicits the unsubscribe? Yes. Like with us, I mean, I when say. we send out something purely promotional, the unsubscribe rate is higher than if it's a newsletter. Yeah, so we don't try and do a lot of that. Like we we actually just put so much time and energy into our newsletter itself, which by the way, every time we send that gets some unsubscribes. Like it does, no, no matter what. So we, we we're aware, aware of that, but we don't even send a lot of just straight promotional emails because we actually weave that into the newsletter itself. Well, and it's a good point to bring up because a lot of people when they start in the newsletter space, and this has been for, for years and years, that it is meant to be a way to nurture leads and sometimes we're overly promotional. Yep. Uh, because here's, here's how it worked for us. When we would send more promotional emails, like we're trying to fill up a Rainmaker weekend or something, you'd get some immediate gratification in the sense that people would sign up. Yeah. And you'd be like, this is awesome. We gotta send this one again next week. But over time when you're doing that, you're also losing subscribers who may wanna come to future events if you'd been a little bit more patient. You burn your list. Definitely. If you, if you, and we, we did this. We've experimented. We've done this for a long time. We've done email marketing for for years and years. And I, when you said Rainmaker Weekend, that really kind of resonated with me because one of my initial um, kind of jobs when I first started with 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 Oxley was 
fill up these Rainmaker weekends, right? Like Kevin, you focus on marketing and I would send promos and they would work, but then you would notice that there would be a gradual decline in how much they would work. Uh, and people would unsubscribe and that would just hurt your news. It just- Well, we would decide whether we were gonna send four or five yes. or six standalone emails about it. Yeah. Too much. Yeah, exactly. Okay, final question here today. And I, and I like this one, cause this is a little bit nostalgic for me. Um, what do I do with this data? Because I, when we, it, one of the one of the neat aspects of email marketing is to be able to see specifically who, based on their email address, is engaging with what piece of content. So back in the day, we could pull reports, and we and we could still do it now. We just don't do it as much, but we would pull reports on who clicked on an ad in our newsletter for our Rainmaker weekend, right, or for coaching or for wh whatever program it might be and we would build lists, right? And we could segment that list, we could send them separate promos, or we would call them up. We would so, hand it to someone in sales and say, okay, hey, start dialing these people. Yeah, and just to, if nothing else, to say hello. And I think what I would always find is that I'd find somebody in that list every time who I knew well, but hadn't talked to in a while. Yeah. And I'd be like, we haven't heard from them in years. They used to be a big client of ours, but now they're on the number one, uh, they're the number one forwarder of our emails. Yes. Or they opened this one email seven times. I was like, gonna say, going on? yeah, seven times, or clicked on this piece of content 10 times. Yeah. Yes. And that person needs a reach out, if nothing else, not to say that I saw you read this seven times, but to say like, hey, how have you been, right? And when you look at more sophisticated marketing campaigns, they combine a lot of that information. And I'm not advocating this for most financial advisors. Are we getting into lead scoring? Yeah, here? lead scoring. Yeah. That's partly what it's based on. How many times had that person visited your website? How many times did they open an email recently? And every yeah. one of those actions gets them uh, a few additional points. So that ultimately, when you're running this at big, big scale, uh, that your lead list is pretty quantifiable, how they ended up on there. So could you, as you start building this newsletter list, run a report on who's been clicking on what content? Absolutely. And you could say, you know what, if you notice a, a center of influence who you've been wanting to build a deeper relationship with is always opening your newsletter, always reading it, maybe you wanna reach out to them, right? Or a prospect, maybe it's a time for to launch a call into them. So it just, it gives you some really interesting insight there that, you know, um, some other mediums just don't provide. Yeah, as always, like and subscribe if you like our content. We'd love to have you uh, subscribed. And also, keep in mind, Oxley's got some programs rolling out around newsletters. So we wanna be able to help you in your efforts to build a more personalized newsletter. Focus on quality, focus on better design, and better content. So you might be thinking, hey guys, you just said nothing boilerplate. Now you're gonna roll out a newsletter service for us? Well, we have a newsletter service that helps embrace the best of the content that you bring to the table alongside some copywriting by us to help further personalize this effort. Absolutely. So check it out when you have a second. Love to have you in the program. Otherwise, it's all for now. We'll see you for 99.